This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good afternoon. Welcome to Health and Living with me, T. Shaoik. It's our public health segment today with my co-host, Azrul Mohammad Khalib, CEO of the Galen Centre for Health and Social Policy. How are you, Azrul? First show together of the year? I think so. Yes. And if it's not too late to wish you Happy New Year. Absolutely. Uh, 11 yeah. days in, never yeah, too late, that's right? That's all right. Okay. <laughs> Although before you know it, it'll be December. <laughs> oh, oh, oh no, don't, please. <laughs> Um, but uh, on the show today, we're going to be discussing invisible barriers to accessing healthcare. You know, you've heard so often of um, people having to skip medical checkups, treatments or follow-up care, even when the services are available for them to access in the healthcare facilities. And uh, we're asking the question, why? And, um, you know, there has been some feedback, for instance, at the Selangor state level, um, Jamalia Jamalia. Maludin, the Selangor Public Health mm. and Environment Exco member, was quoted in an article uh, on Code Blue, uh, talking about how time constraints and transport problems are the primary reasons that residents in Selangor don't go for follow-up screenings or consultations, even though they have undergone health screening progr- programs that found abnormalities uh, that should require them to to seek further care. Right. So these are things that have nothing to do with the healthcare or medical system per se, but it is already a significant barrier. So we're going to explore some of these, why it makes it difficult for people to seek healthcare and why something like a patient navigation program uh, would be fundamentally important to ensure that patients don't fall through the cracks. So joining us for that discussion, Maheshwari Jagannathan, Deputy Head for Community Outreach at Cancer Research Malaysia. Mahesh, thank you so much for joining us. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Thank you for having us again. Yes, absolutely. Uh, it's a great pleasure to be together today with Mr. Azro. So myself. call us with your questions, your thoughts, if you have had experiences uh, when it comes to encountering these barriers where it's, or, or even navigating the healthcare system where it's just made you feel frustrated um, or uh, if you have thoughts on how the healthcare system uh, and the social system can be improved to help you or your loved ones to navigate healthcare, you can call us at 03-773-2900. You can also WhatsApp us at our U mobile number, either a text message or a voice note, 018-789-8899 or tweet us at BFM Radio. Azrul, if I can start with you, we are pretty proud of our healthcare system that is said to provide universal health coverage through its vast network of public health facilities. And uh, in the public health side, services are heavily subsidised to be affordable to almost anyone. But is this adequate to ensure that everyone receives the health services that they need when they need it? Well, as you say, uh, Shaoi, this is a very important uh, attribute of Malaysia. It's been raised time and again, uh, not just in the region, but also internationally, that Malaysia has very good coverage when it comes to healthcare. And I think it's good to put numbers to some of these uh, statements. And, and if you see... Uh, the fact that 90% of the population is actually within five kilometer uh, reach of a healthcare facility, it could be public or private, uh, we see that 70% of the uh, Malaysian population actually is dependent on public healthcare facilities, and that's a very important point to, to note. And you j- said just now in terms of subsidization, 98% of all healthcare costs in the public sector is subsidised by the Malaysian taxpayer. So mm. there's a lot there that we have to 
look into in terms of the provision of healthcare for uh, Malaysians and people who live in Malaysia that we all depend on. And the good thing is, is that we have a system uh, that has been in place for decades, that has been grown, that has developed into one that is uh, at least one of the best examples of good health coverage. But very often, uh, the problem, as you rightly pointed out at the very beginning, sometimes it's not really about the, the services that are available at the clinic or the hospital or you know, at the, the district hospital where you've been, where you have doctors, nurses, you have uh, people who are able to provide the treatment and care that you need. It's actually sometimes the challenge of getting them there to and, that yeah. facility to receive that treatment. And that can be a vast chasm, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Whether it's in yeah. terms of physical distance or... A lot of barriers, uh, you know, and sometimes, uh, and we've seen in different diseases, it's not the disease itself that uh, claims the life of the, the patient or the individual who's suffering from a condition. It's actually the idea of getting access to the treatment that works, that is able to be curative, but sometimes the that chasm, as you say, you know, is so vast that it could deprive people of livelihood, cost so much that it just becomes uh, untenable or just unreachable. And that's where our, our coverage, we have to look deeper into and understand where the gaps are to understand where and how we can respond. Mm. Mahesh, from your experience, observation, uh, I mean, you've been doing this kind of work, which which we'll talk more about later, the actual programs that you're doing. Um, but just looking at that concept of these barriers that are between a person in their home, um, right to the healthcare facility where the services are available, why is it important that we must consider those other barriers? And what are some of them that you've um, seen and heard from the patients you've encountered? Yeah. So working with the patients, currently uh, what we are doing is a public-private uh, partnership with the Ministry of Health. And uh, currently we have integrated the patient navigation program, which are focused to guide the newly diagnosed breast cancer patient to complete the recommended treatment. And it also, uh, the, the major goal is to ensure that the patient and the family can overcome the challenge and barrier so that during the treatment, there's no interruption mm. and they will not go default. Mm. But while we were actually starting at the early stage when we wanted to really understand the pathway or the journey of the patient right from where they stay, right? There's a lot of things that most of us have no idea their reality at home. Or we take for granted because we don't face those problems, right? Yeah, yep. maybe, maybe. And when a woman wants to come out, stepping out from the home and the journey to the hospital is not easy because she's the one who's taking care of the home. There's a lot of uh, issues that is already there at home. And plus the journey to the hospital which is, can be very, very fearful. And sometimes if you don't have the knowledge how to navigate through the healthcare system, it will be much more difficult. We have found patients who have went with a referral all the way to hospital and for many hours they couldn't find the clinic and they have come back, mm. right? So based on barriers, right, there is patient-based barrier, mm -hmm. there is healthcare professional-based barrier and there's also healthcare system-based barrier. Mm. So what patient navigation program able to do is look into this at very comprehensive way 
And from there, we would be able to do a gap analysis. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that is a need assessment. And with the gap and the need that we have found, and later, those can those information can be translated to strategy intervention to to help them to improve those barriers. Mm -hmm. But the barriers, there are many barriers. Mm -hmm. And uh, you'll be very surprised at one time when the navigation uh, team is just have received someone from most probably a district hospital or a clinic that has referred them with a suspicious finding. Sometimes the barriers that we would be putting as the red flag, mm. right? There will be almost more than 12, 15. There's many. What's the most so, shocking that you've come across? So the main five thing, of course, knowledge, financial, um, transportation, uh, support system, and also emotional barriers uh, for any one patient that is found with suspicious finding. Mm, yeah. So these are the main uh the, the main barriers that when we started our pilot studies that we found, and it's actually uh, similar across to all the other three centres that currently operating in Negeri Sembilan, Sabah and Sarawak. Mm. And of course, the intensity of the barrier is much more different. You know, it's the same problem, but most probably uh, people in Klang that we are navigating could say that, you know, staying 20 kilometres away is a problem. But for somebody who's coming from all the way from different district of Sarawak, 100 kilometres, mm. it's a major change, yeah. challenge. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Uh, and, you know, um, if we were to look at examples of what does it mean, what, what kind of barriers are we talking about? What kind of issues? And, and uh, Mahesh has, has uh, described that uh, in the context of cancer. If we look at um, uh, pregnancy, for example, and maternal mortality, uh, where women die as a result of the process of giving birth or during pregnancy. Uh, pregnancy, you find that these are very, very real today, contemporary examples that we have. And I can think of no better example than the case of Kamagong, mm -hmm. uh, which happened in 2002. And you find that this was a situation where a woman who was giving birth to an eighth uh, child uh, in Laos, mm -hmm. which is a rural area in, in Sarawak, mm -hmm. and she needing to travel hundreds of miles, hundreds of kilometres, uh, to Miri to seek the appropriate uh, uh, medical attention because the, the right type of treatment wasn't available in the district hospital. She had to not just travel by a chartered uh, uh, Land Rover um, through 100 kilometers. She had to spend hundreds of ringgit and to this make is not, that journey. This is not a journey on highway. No, uh, NKB. <laughs> this is logging paths. No, logging way, paths. Yeah. But it's it's improved since then, though. Mm -hmm. There's that's better roads and mm -hmm. so forth. But what hasn't changed is the distance. The journey is still uh, expensive. Uh, it is crossing three borders. Yes. basically, you know, that's it's true. going through Brunei there, you know, yeah. and. Uh, most importantly, it is arduous for a person who's going through medical distress. Yeah. And unfortunately, in that particular case, it claimed her life and she did not survive. And though that case happened, what, 20 years ago, we are now in 2024 or 2023A, I think, <laughs> to some people, uh, we are actually still, that is the re real 
life experience of many mothers who are living not just in Sabah and Sarawak. And we like to think that East Malaysia is an experience on its own. Actually, in peninsula, that is the everyday reality for a lot of women who are living in rural areas, for which I say at the very beginning that they are within five kilometers of a healthcare facility, but that's, uh, you know, around 80%. How about the rest of the population? And what does that five kilometer distance look like? Mm. In KL, five kilometers is a short drive, but for many people who are living in rural areas, five kilometers could be half a day, and it's loss of income, loss of revenue, costs of, you know, childcare. There are a lot of issues there that make it a difficult decision to make to seek medical attention. Mm. We'll go for a quick break and when we come back, I'd like to ask Mahesh to further paint that picture for us in terms of navigating the healthcare system where you briefly mentioned, even with a referral letter, um, actually using that to be able to see a healthcare professional is is, is another, you know, a complicated process. It's a journey, I think they it's say, right? Yeah. Not, not a pleasant <laughs> one by the sounds of it. We, we just want to explore that a little bit more before we look at how uh, things like the patient navig- navigation program and perhaps other initiatives uh, can be scaled up to, um, you know, improve, uh, remove these barriers for patients. Uh, in the studio with me, my co-host, Azrul Muhammad. Khalib from the Galen Centre for Health and Social Policy for our public health series today, along with Maheshwari Jagannathan, Deputy Head of Community Outreach from Cancer Research Malaysia. Share your thoughts with us if you have experiences you'd like to share or thoughts on how our healthcare system and beyond can address some of these invisible barriers, call us at 03-777-32900, WhatsApp our U-Mobile number at 018-789-8899 or tweet us at BFM Radio. We'll be right back on BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Health and Living with me, T. Shaoik. My co-host for the Public Health Series today, Azrul Muhammad Khalib, CEO of the Galen Centre for Health and Social Policy in the studio with me, along with our guest for today's discussion, Maheshwari Jagannathan, Deputy Head of Community Outreach from Cancer Research Malaysia. We are discussing the invisible barriers to accessing healthcare, things that are sometimes within and also uh, out of the healthcare system, like... um, uh, physical uh, distance and ability to get to a healthcare facility, um, some uh, issues or circumstances at home uh, that may prevent, especially women, I think, being uh, usually mm. primary caregivers for families and children, um, to be able to take time out from those routines to seek healthcare. Um, financial issues as well, um, losing income when you're not able to go to work um, and, you know, you actually uh, make that choice. Um, it's, you know, your daily income or your health. And very often, if, if it comes down to that, it's the daily income that, that wins, right, so to speak. Um, call us with your thoughts, 03-777-32900. You can also WhatsApp us a message or voice note at 018-789-8899 or tweet us at BFM Radio. Actually, I'm wondering, Mahes, just very quickly, um, I'm calling out for our listeners to share their experiences. At the back of my mind, I'm thinking, well, they're mostly urban um, you know, Klang Valley-based listeners, um, perhaps they don't face these kinds of challenges. Would you, would you say that uh, to be true, though? No. Mm-hmm. I think uh, most of the barriers uh, is being faced by across 
I mean, like mm. we 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 uh, the the navigation center in Klang is actually covering the eleven district. So the navigation center in Seremban, Sabah, and Sarawak is a state referral center. So whatever that we faced in uh, Klang was similar across to the all the other states. Mm. But um, the the resources the resources that is available at different states and uh, the geographical location of patients mm. and also languages, especially for Sabah Sarawak. Yeah. You know, we, we have some of different type of barriers that we don't see in Semenanjung. Yeah. But other than that, most of the barriers for many years, we know that those barriers still exist. Mm. And uh, sometimes some of the solutions uh, cannot be provided by the hospital because most of the hospital, uh, the healthcare system was supposed to actually address disease-centric. Yeah. 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 They are more disease-centric and, yeah. uh, and and it is not more to patient-centric. And sometimes you might not have the resources. Mm. So when we integrate patient navigation program, what we able to do is we have looked into all the challenges and what are the solutions that can actually improve those gaps and the need, right? So there's like a reset button that we have set in mm. and now there's a different processes that is going on in the hospital so when they come in mm. uh, in come in as the newly di- the the highly suspicious patient coming from GP or KK so when they come into a navigation center we're not even talking about cancer we are talking about who you are where you come from mm-hmm. and what are the resources currently available for you right so i really want to know who you are Right. So most of the time, that is the first impression that we make that we think we want to build the trust, uh, the trust and we want to build the trust and we want to say that we are here for you, no matter who you are, from whichever walk of life you are coming mm. to the Ministry of Health yeah. Services. Yeah. You know, a, a cancer diagnosis, uh, a patient once told me, is sometimes not just about the treatment itself, it's actually about a whole uh, life change, which involves even financial planning. And uh, that is something that has become uh, an issue, uh, has always been an issue, especially for those coming from lower and middle income uh, households. And I want to ask your opinion about uh, the Perker B4T program, you know. And mm-hmm. one of the things that, uh, it's coming up to five years now, of the Perker B4T program. And one of the things that was integrated into that was an incentive for people to be able to come forward to get their treatment by reducing the financial burden on them. And in uh, the program, it includes basically um, uh, for those who are eligible for Peninsula Malaysia, uh, a transport in, uh, incentive uh, per disease around 500 ringgit. And for Sabuan Strawa uh, and Labuan, it's around 1,000 ringgit per disease. So the idea is that you want to reduce that financial burden so that you can go to get treated mm-hmm. and finish your treatment, which is most important, and to avoid default, which you mentioned just now. Right. But Protect Health, which runs Berkeley before, the, and indicated that there is low uptake. And up until last year, there still was very low uptake of this program. People are not coming forward, even though there is uh, assistance. You talked about resources just now right. for them. It's being offered. It's It's... It's funded for, it's paid for, but they're not coming forward. So in your opinion, what are the, some of the barriers there for mm-hmm. uh, people who need the financial assistance, especially when it comes to a cancer treatment, a diagnosis and treatment, but they're not linking themselves up with mm-hmm. that assistance? What, what's, 
what's the barrier there? What's preventing them from taking advantage of this? Yeah. So most of the time, our patient, only when they're diagnosed, they're thinking about PKP40, which is too late. Right? Oh, okay. Oh, what do you mean? Most probably, they, they, they have a different uh, understanding, right? Uh, PKP40 needs to be registered much more early. You have an criteria that you have to, you know, fulfill. Oh, really? And, you you uh, mean before diagnosis, you have to be registered with PKP40? Yes. Oh, okay. Okay. It's supposed to be an uh, 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 initiative where... You know, you are taking uh, active role in making sure that you go for screening and make sure that you are upfront uh, so that you're registered and you're screened and there's a risk that you are aware of. So then you're registered and you can actually have different type of privilege mm-hmm. when you have PKB40. And only when you are diagnosed after registered under PKB40 and uh then you are eligible for the transportation uh, allowance, which is not sufficient. Okay. Okay. Not sufficient for, even 1,000 is not sufficient for Sabah Sarawak. That is only uh, like maybe for... Trips. Uh, trips. And for Semenanjung, maybe more than that, maybe uh, six, seven trip, right? And also uh, when you complete the treatment, right, you, you get about... That 1,000 plus under the PKB40. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that there is limited things that you can actually uh, get from PKB40 for cancer care, mm-hmm. right? There's, there's also different, uh, different type of uh, benefit that you can, you know, from lens, from prosthesis mm-hmm. and all of that. Mm-hmm. But it was also uh, like, you know, doing the navigation, we thought like a... PKB40 can actually uh, have a consideration of having uh, chemopot mm-hmm. in, their, uh, in their benefits. And they can also have the pros, uh, post-mastectomy bra and the processes mm-hmm. inside, you know, more relevant to the disease. Mm-hmm. But they haven't had, you know, we, we had a, a presentation done. We say that there's a need okay. in, in, in this area. Mm. Uh, but I think a lot of people have not much awareness about uh, initiative that is... Uh, started by the government and most probably the grassroots level doesn't know. You know, they doesn't know uh, enough and how to even register. And sometimes it can be all online uh, forms, Mm. which... Which is not necessarily easy for some communities to do, yeah. Yeah. But that's something new for you and me as well. I think so, yeah. To to realise that, um, you know, you should be registering um, for it when even before you're diagnosed, right? It's a screening. Oh, that's interesting. Sure. And and, yeah. and uh, it, it's important here because there's been a lot of frustration that, uh, uh, you know, the, the government is doing as best as, it's, as it can to provide assistance, to provide the best quality treatment and care, uh, especially when we're talking about breast cancer uh, mm-hmm. patients, for example, you mentioned some of the, the, the aids that are necessary that are not medical related, you know, yeah. and, um, but, the low uptake is still a problem, even after five years, you know, of, of this program. So uh, it's good to to understand why that's happening. But you've obviously mentioned that there needs to be more uh, communication and awareness of uh, how this program can help benefit people. And I can see how it links up with your patient navigation program, right? Because if you can get patients or people living with cancer to the hospital to get treated, that's really a win. But even better is for them to continue that treatment, to 
the finish and right. to get the kind of outcomes that mm-hmm. we want to expect from the investment we make in cancer, right? Mm, yeah. 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 yeah, And Mahesh, you also already briefly talked about navigating the system itself. So from that point of uh, you have a referral letter to get to uh, a tertiary hospital, right? Um, what are the challenges within that system? Right. So... Um Okay, I talk about the improvement that we have done. Yeah, yeah, not not the past problems sure, that we yeah, have been yeah. seeing, right? We're looking so, to the future, not right, dwelling yeah, on the past, right? Yeah, the they have yeah. New Year smang yeah. up there, right? Yeah. So the improvement. So uh, currently, what we are doing uh, with the um, referral system. So the first part of the patient navigation is to set up the hospital-based navigation, the main the main support system that's going to help breast cancer patients to complete the treatment for almost more than two years plus. So that's where the expertise, the resources, the system has to be uh, well-structured and well-supported. And we are so much aware that there's a lot of negative narratives on the uh, public services. So our main goal was let's amplify and strengthen this part of the hospital system. And then that is our phase one. The phase two is the primary care clinic. So we would have been like in one year, understand what are the, our referral centre coming from the clinic. So they are our all major top referral centres. We would be working with them, understanding. If you want, if you would have seen any uh, patient coming in with suspicious finding and you think you want to uh, make sure that they go into... Uh, a specialized clinic, which it can be a breast clinic without uh, a breast clinic, or it can be a navigation center, so that you can actually call out. We call it as rapid referral, so they can call out. They can actually talk to the medical officer in charge in the clinic, uh, in the pink ribbon center, mm. the navigation center, and talk about what they found and how can they get the appointment mm. and an appointment to see the doctor and appointment to see all the triple assessment, which is the mammogram, ultrasound mm. and biopsy. So you've already cut through a lot of layers, yes. right? So mm. most probably we would have cut two unwanted follow-up. Yeah. Sometimes mm. uh, those referral letter, they go to the clinic and then the clinic gives the appointment, they go back and then they oh, come back yeah. and they take another yeah. appointment yeah. to do the... Tri- so we cut. Yeah. So this is... a working style that we have established if in the state or in the site we have navigation program and on top of that that's phase two in phase three we really want to go to the community but not yet uh, not in the first level yet we really need to understand the healthcare system the primary care clinic and most probably we would have know where is our late presenters are coming from Mm. or our patient population where they're coming from and uh, we, we did some uh, activity on uh, doing geotagging of patients coming uh, over five years. And mm. we also presented the paper. We published the paper last year really to understand what makes people to come late. Yeah. Mm. And those people who come late, they even stay in front of the hospital. But, you know, they have all the other barriers that have stopped them to come to the hospital. Really? Yeah. Wow. So we are geotag <laughs> and we found there is a hotspot of uh women that comes from a distance that has a lot of barriers that will actually delays or sometimes they might start and later if you don't support them uh, at the right time they might think that okay this is going to be a burden i don't have enough money i if i go to cl- uh, to the clinic i don't get a leave but you know my payment uh, m- the salary of the day get cut off yeah mm. 
my child doesn't go to school mm. and there's no one uh, who's helping me out in making sure you know you can take care of the child children so for the next 3 days after chemo maybe i'm too tired to take care of anything at home i just want to rest mm. but uh, you know in 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 the current state a lot of families are being more nucleus yeah. and we're not having extended family uh, together living with us who can actually like, you know mother in law or mother who can actually help us mm. so they are so on their yeah, own because she was always the one providing the care to mm. others yes. so when she needs care there's nobody to do it right yeah. so she forgoes that care yeah so we we even had uh, a one patient story very short uh, so this was a single woman a single mother uh, with three uh, children and uh, when we found her uh, she was uh, when we she came to the pink ribbon center and when we did the interview and everything uh, she couldn't even uh, speak basamnesia well and uh, she had language problem and also had a lot of financial issue mm. and uh, she was actually going through a uh, recent uh, death of the husband mm. uh, who died like one year ago mm. and uh, and she couldn't accept the news of her now being diagnosed with breast cancer right and currently there's a caregiver who's uh, staying with them and they are low wage he's just o- only earning about 1800 and he's a security guard and he works on contract basis so we were supporting them while we were applying for the jabatan kebajikan masyarakat because she's a single mother there's initiative that can actually help single mother mm. we couldn't proceed because she cannot open a bank account and while we were we we sent her twice to the bank and we thought like maybe it's a language barrier right mm. but later on uh, when our community the social worker went with the patient to the bank then we found that she's blacklisted and she has no idea why she's blacklisted so there was a house brought under uh, the husband name who passed away and uh, she was the guarantor there was no insurance so we couldn't actually uh, secure any long term uh, financial aid mm. that would actually support her right. right so what we did was we worked with the insolvency malaysia and we brought her case out and we supported her in the in the court saying that wow. she would not be able to pay mm. a uh, bad debt of 80000 for mm-hmm. a house which was 38000 it was the house was leilong, been leilong yeah yeah so when we when we when we were in the insolvency and the officer was actually telling why she was she cried and we said let me die because if i have that amount of money i would have put that into my bank and my children will actually benefit that so we said um look we are here right there must be a way how to work on this and we started 6 months going to the to the court and from from with many help from the from the insolvency people from the court from the lawyers of the the bank that has leilong the the house uh, they actually gave us the letter to even present ourselves Uh, for this patient while she was going through her chemotherapy right so, so you were her representatives yes yeah. we actually uh, uh we actually requested for a wave of goodwill because mm. she will no way she will pay about uh, uh, that amount of money right so actually we won the case and she was given the wave of goodwill wow. and in two days we managed to open her bank, bank account. account and she was actually uh, holding the you know the pensioner allowance since the husband uh, had epf so there was five check that she was holding 
have you put in into the account mm. and make sure that she complete the treatment we mm. managed to get her the JKM money we managed to put uh, every we, we secured her well for the future so a navigation program can actually uh, support patient not only complete the treatment but we can actually go beyond in case that we in this this situation we have no other way because long term solution has to kick in right after the active treatment is completed Wow, you are all such heroes, really. Yeah, and you can quite. see where exactly the problems are outside of the medical professional and healthcare professional's ability to solve. Um, and um, wow. <laughs> we'll go for another quick break and continue this conversation uh, with my co-host, Azrul Muhammad Khalib, and our guest, Maheswari Jagannathan from Cancer Research Malaysia. Call us uh, with your thoughts or questions, 0377332900 or WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Stay tuned to Health & Living on BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Health and Living with me, T. Shao Ik, and my co-host for the Public Health Series today, Azrul Mohamad Khalib of the Galen Centre for Health and Social Policy. Our guest today is Maheswari Jagannathan, Deputy Head for Community Outreach from Cancer Research Malaysia. We're discussing invisible barriers to accessing healthcare and uh, looking at how programs like Cancer Research Malaysia's Patient Navigation Program helps to identify the challenges challenges faced by patients when it comes to being able to complete their treatment. Many of these challenges are not really about um, the services or treatments or therapies at the hospital itself. It's um, financial, social um, circumstances of the individuals that stop them from... Um, and, and, and these are real challenges. These are real problems that from Mahesh's story before the break um, almost heartbreaking if you think about the fact that if somebody didn't have that kind of support um, they would really just have not been able to survive and their children and families um, would also suffer beyond that. Uh, Azrul, you had a point. Well, you know, um, if you reflect on what uh, Mahesh has shared with us uh, a moment ago very few, if any, of those factors were medical or treatment-related, really. They were non-medical. They were uh, the social economic factors. And sometimes and very often beyond the control of any uh, assistance that you can provide from a Ministry of Health setting or even sometimes even the government's own uh, you know, ability to assist. And when you reflect on the fact that the National Cancer Registry from several years ago data told us that more than 70% of all cancer cases present late, which you mentioned just now. When we say present late, it means stage three and four. Majority of all cancers present late and a large number are breast cancer, meaning a lot of women are coming forward only when it's at stage three and four, when there are fewer options available for treatment, but also... Uh, the problem here lies in after diagnosis, going for treatment, and then what? You know, And you've described how a struggle for a person to be able to link with that treatment because there are recurring costs. You know, they're involved in getting that treatment. So one thing that has 
has jumped up to me uh, during the years of engaging with the cancer community is that very often women place their family above themselves and they have to make difficult decisions where they think that uh, caring for my family is more important than caring for myself and therefore they forego treatment because it costs so much just to go for that maybe one hour session, you know, for chemo or whatever treatment that, that is being offered, which is uh, available at no cost to her, but the cost of getting to that treatment costs so much. So what can we do better? Uh, how can we help, uh, you know, in terms of not just women who need uh, this kind of assistance, but others as well, you know, uh, mm-hmm. who are with different cancers? Uh, what, what can we do better to try to make it possible for them to be linked to treatment and to stay on the treatment until its completion? Right. I think most of the work is based on the patient-centred. I think if you, if you, if you look at patient-centred care, it's very important. And sometimes it's not easy to deliver because it involves expertise, human resource, and also resources like funding and funding. And, you know, th- the way that the navigation uh, program works is that while we understand who is our patient, the team has an interval time of 14 days of the diagnosis, okay. right, from the day that they walk in. Yeah. So the navigation team most probably would have devised what are the plans in that 14 days in case that they are positive? On the day that they break the news with the doctor, after that, they will come and see us. And we have that conversation. Look, you know, the, the diagnosis is unfortunately is cancer. And uh, we, we know a lot of things about you. And, and we see there's a lot of way that we can actually help you to overcome financial, geographical issue, or even childcare, you know. Uh, so we make sure on the day that uh, it's a very critical point mm. during the breaking of the news that we never send the patient back home hopeless, yeah. right? Mm. On the day, the first day when we met the patient, Mm-mm. we built the trust. We say, we are here for you Mm-mm. and you matter. And when right after diagnosis, when we have all this plan laid out, and of course, another thing is working with the family member. Mm, of course. Patient and family member is the two person that you have to work with. It's a partnership, right? Because we are not going to be there with the patient 24-7, but the caregivers is going to be there. So we really need to keep the motivation up for patient and make sure they can visualise this journey that they cannot see, mm-hmm. right? That's very important. A lot of, a lot of communication, trust building, and uh, taking that, a role saying that I'll look the resources for you, hmm. right? These are available. I'll apply for you. And all of these things can be only happen if you have that structure that help the patient. So I think in the navigation centre, right, what we see is if you're able to uh, make them uh, visualise that, that journey that they cannot see or what are the next... Uh, thing that you have to anticipate when you go for surgery, for chemo, there's somebody who's holding that information and I know when to deliver and I know what to do for you to the next round. If let's say um, some patients may have the uh, money to come for the appointment, but those money might be given for them to pay for the school fees, Mm. right? Mm. So we offer them 
uh, reimbursement. Mm. Bring your receipt and we give them reimbursement. There are patients who doesn't even have the money at all. So today, if I want to come out from the house, I must have the money. Mm-hmm. So we would have coordinated with the patient week ahead, say that I'm going to send this amount of money, make sure you get a grab and you come. Mm. Or if your children can send, when you're going back from chemo, I will send you with the grab because yeah. you you will be not in the state to take a public transport, right? Yeah. So there's a lot of coordination, trust building, uh, and the team that wants to navigate the patient must know the solution and resources that you can tap or leverage on. Mm. How can this be beyond breast cancer, beyond the four hospitals that you're working with, how can this be available for every single person who needs it in Malaysia? Yeah. This is a big and ask, bigger, isn't it's it? A big... Yeah. Is it's it a, possible? Of course, th- that's the ideal state, right? That's the ideal state. That's why what we want, uh, where we want to arrive at. But of course, we have to step, uh, we have to start in building our foundation, uh, the, the foundation which we started with pilot, uh, demonstration model in the Guambon Rahima Klang and then we said that okay this is a great model we want to replicate we replicate to Hospital uh, Tuanku Jafar Shramban and Hospital Umum Sarawak and Hospital Queen Elizabeth too. so most of the time uh, initiative or new uh, projects are not tested in Sabah Sarawak so people were actually asking like you know are you sure you guys are going to East Malaysia I think that's the toughest part of the the uh, healthcare system. But, you know, the way that patient navigation program is set uh, is that if you have a very big problem and those problems unable to be, it has to be uh, only overcome with multi-level players and stakeholders and you need different level uh, of resources, patient navigation program is is the one, is, is like a solution to to the situation or the challenges there. So, right after, now, after pandemic, right? Uh, so, we, we have been working very close with Ministry of Health. Currently, we have received uh, the support uh, from the Ministry of Health so that we will now replicate at least uh, one state referral centre that has the navigation programme for the breast cancer patient first. And if, let's say, we are successful in these three or five years, able to set up the patient navigation program for breast cancer patients in all state referral hospitals, mm-hmm. then those pathways can always be used for different type of cancer or even different type of diseases. Yeah. So we have to start the, the fundamental, the foundation work first, and then we will move. Bit by bit, no? Yeah. Unfortunately, we're running out of time, but Mahes, if I can get you to, um, you know, just give us your ambitions, your wishes, your aspirations in terms of who else can be part of this partnership um, so that it's not just Cancer Research Malaysia and Ministry of Health doing this because the problems lie um, beyond uh, that sector, I think. Right. Especially, if I may add, if you had a chance to speak to the current health minister, Dr. Zoe, right now, you know, you want him to hear something. What What would you, what is your, your ask as to how you can expand on this? Yeah. So currently now in the uh, public setting, right, we, we do have uh, support for patients to have um, 
uh, hormone therapy and also chemotherapy. But, you know, the limitation for uh, more innovative drugs like targeted therapy and immuno immunotherapy are very limited. The quota is very small. So most probably uh, we hope that there is a co-pay scheme uh -huh. or an initiative that can be uh, established so that it can support most of the patient that is coming to the public uh, services, right? So that there's more uh, you know, increase of uh, quality of life, livelihood. So, you know, patient can actually see more hope, more advancement yeah. and they don't feel like, okay, we're just getting this uh, because we are lack of money. No, but they also they can survive and, yeah. and help continue their lives and them of their family, right? Right. So, yeah. Yeah, there, there are some, um, uh, some uh, numbers of patients in the Ministry of Health getting the targeted therapy, but it's an unlimited quota based on the budgets. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So we hope that, you know, everyone could actually have that. And uh, we hope the second one is, you know, working in the healthcare system. And I worked in the Ministry of uh, Armed Forces in uh, Kingdom of Saudi Arabia for five years. Well, the one thing that uh, most of the hospital in Kingdom of Saudi Arabia has is the patient affairs department, oh. right? The patient uh, affairs departments consists of the social work, patient relation. Uh, they have the religious officers, the advocates, the licensed officers. They are the centres that will actually uh, stream, streamline and triage most of all the referral that comes from the district, even from the deserts, mm. right? Whoever need even evacuation, medical evacuation, it comes from there. And when the patients are going back home, they go to the, the, the department. I hope that there should be a patient affair department in each of the hospital. So one day, the patient navigation program, the, the, the navigators, the advocate, the counsellors, all of them is seated in mm. that department. Mm. And the department has to be a private-public uh, partnership so that it can receive direct uh, funding to support patients to go through that. So... It's it's not it's not something that um, it's it's a it's a specific department that can actually help all the other departments, just like the pathology yeah. department, radiology oh, department. Yes, that's right. There's a patient affair department who are patient friendly, and they want to help the patient. Uh, to make sure they complete the treatment. It's a department on its own. It's yeah. uh, very similar to social care department in the UK's NHS, I mm -hmm. think. Yeah. That's right. And uh, doing uh, all of this, um, all of these efforts, but in a structured and more sustainable way. Right. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us today. Maheswari Jagannathan from Cancer Research Malaysia and my co-host Azro Muhammad Khalid from Galen Centre for Health and Social Policy. This has been Health and Living, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.